Welcome to this BJSM podcast. My name is Brooke Patterson and I'm a physiotherapist and research fellow at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia. Today we have a special Optinee edition where Associate Professor Jackie Whitaker and Dr. Stephanie Philbay are going to battle it out in a rapid fire round of myth busting. So to do this, I have 10 statements about ACL injuries, management options and osteoarthritis risk. After each statement, Jackie or Steph must buzz in to answer true or false with a supporting statement in one minute or less. Jackie was the leader of the Optinee International Consensus Exercise, bringing together over 30 clinician scientists to develop recommendations to optimize musculoskeletal health and prevent post-traumatic osteoarthritis following knee trauma. This involved the culmination of over 230 studies and 130,000 participants. Jackie has over 20 years of clinical experience and is an associate professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of British Columbia and a research scientist at Arthritis Research Canada. And Steph, um, we've got on the line as well, is a senior research fellow with the Department of Physiotherapy at the University of Melbourne. She is a physiotherapist and her research expertise relates to evaluating and optimising outcomes for people after ACL injury. She is passionate about improving the management of ACL injury and educating patients and clinicians about the research in this area. All right, so we're going to jump straight in. So there's no doubt from your intros that you both should know the evidence in this space. So this is really about backing in your knowledge. Are you ready to go? Yes, let's do it. Okay, first statement. ACL reconstruction reduces the risk of post-traumatic away compared to non-surgical management. False. <laughs> yeah, there's actually multiple systematic reviews that demonstrate a high risk of radiographic OA after ACL reconstruction compared to non-surgical management. And there's other reviews that actually found no relationship between treatment strategy and OA risk. So there's a 2021 umbrella systematic review, which was a review of all existing reviews on the topic that found a high prevalence of OA after ACL reconstruction compared to rehab alone. And there's also evidence to suggest that reconstruction can lead to an increase in inflammatory cytokines after five years after surgery and more change in cartilage morphology within a year of surgery compared to management with rehabilitation. Bang, short and sharp. I love it. Jackie, anything to add or rebut there? No, I'm in complete support with what Steph said. She just got to the buzzer faster than I did. (laughs) Okay, second statement coming up. Only patella tendon grafts get patellofemoral osteoarthritis after ACL reconstruction. Uh, false again. Um, we set, we found in our Optini systematic review similar odds of post-traumatic osteoarthritis for people that had a patellar tendon or a semitendinosus graft, um, regardless of the compartment of the joint that we looked at. So basically nine studies with a total of just over 1,100 participants and there was very similar odds of structural osteoarthritis um, with the two two uh, graft types. So um, graft type doesn't really seem to play a role. Um, little bonus question for you, Jackie. Why do you think other graft types are getting patellofemoral OA or why is patellofemoral OA a problem after ACL reconstruction? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think that um, what we found was that you could, I mean, the fact that there was no difference in odds between the two uh, graph types would suggest that you could get patellofemoral OA regardless of the, of the graph type. So it's not more prevalent in the patellar tendon versus a semitendinosis. Um, why do people get patellofemoral OA after an ACL reconstruction? Um, I think probably um, the, the initial thought is that there's a change in loading to that joint and that change in loading may unload the joint and that unloading may lead to uh, poorer nutrition. We know that that loading, cyclical loading is important for cartilage health and perhaps by not having that same type of loading, the cartilage starts to become unhealthy and starts to break down. Great, thank you. Anything to add there, Steph? Also, as we see an increase in inflammatory cytokines, we don't know whether that could also influence the OA risk in the patellofemoral joint. Um, and of course, strength and muscular deficits that can persist after ACL reconstruction could also potentially, especially the quadriceps, influence loading and kinematics through the patellofemoral joint, which could therefore influence OA risk. Excellent. All right, we'll move on to number three non-surgical management of an ACL injury increases the risk of future meniscal tears? False. This is a common belief, which I would say is incorrect, uh, which may be surprising to a lot of listeners, actually, because there's multiple studies and reviews that conclude otherwise. But most of these actually use inappropriate research designs. So most of them are retrospective reviews of surgeon records where they actually compare meniscal injury in people who present soon after injury for surgery compared to people who presented months or years after injury who could have had no rehab, unknown rehab, or have multiple episodes of instability. So it's not actually surprising that those people had more meniscal injury than those who present early, but it isn't reflective of the average person who undergoes rehabilitation. There's actually three systematic reviews that included only clinical trials in their reviews that found no relationship between the timing of reconstruction and the risk of meniscal injury. And other studies incorrectly assume that all meniscal surgeries performed in the rehabilitation arm are new meniscal injury, rather than ongoing symptoms from concomitant injury, so meniscal injury that occurred at the same time as ACL injury, whereas those who have reconstruction undergo meniscal surgery at the time of reconstruction. So that's an unfair comparison as well. Actually, a 2020 systematic review only included studies which reported the number of meniscal tears at the time of the injury and the number of new meniscal tears, and they did not find evidence that reconstruction reduces the risk of new meniscal tears. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a long response there, but I think it's quite complex and really important to think critically when it comes to this research question and really evaluate the designs and limitations um, and don't just take conclusions of all studies at face value. Thank you so much, Steph. Um, yeah, thanks for looking uh, into that research and uh, yeah, a critical eye to it. All right, we'll move on to number four. Meniscal lesions at the time of ACL injury or surgery increases the risk of structural and symptomatic post-traumatic OA. False. Um, I'm going to say false. But I think similar to Steph's um, answer to the previous point, it, it's a bit complicated so in the Optini risk factor systematic review, we wanted to compare people who had an ACL tear 
with people who had an ACL tear plus a meniscal injury. Um, and when we did that, we only identified two studies, but they were both very large studies. So we ended up um, having just over 66,000 participants in those two studies with a follow-up of nine to 14 years. And what we found really was an unclear relationship. So we weren't able to say that an ACL tear plus the meniscal lesion leads to more symptomatic osteoarthritis than just an ACL tear. What we do know is that people who have an ACL reconstruction and a partial meniscectomy or an ACL reconstruction with a medial meniscectomy versus just an ACL reconstruction do have greater odds of structural post-traumatic osteoarthritis. So it's, it's a little complicated and it's a little confusing. The ACLR plus the meniscectomy would suggest that there's a meniscal lesion, but I think similar to what Steph was saying is that meniscal lesion that leads to the meniscectomy could be related to the trauma to the with the ACL tear, or it could be something that's pre-existing. It's, it's difficult to know. Um, so it's complicated. And I think it goes back to Steph, your point around the fact that study designs here are really important and it's really complicated. So really encourage people when they're reading these studies to really look at what the two comparison groups were and whether or not that that that's sort of a, a clinically relevant uh, comparison. So the, the, the answer is false, um, but it, but it's complicated. I do think that there's evidence to suggest that people who have an ACL reconstruction with either a partial or a full medial meniscectomy have greater odds of structural osteoarthritis, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have symptoms. With respect to symptomatic osteoarthritis, though, I still think it's a little bit unclear. All right, number five, higher body mass index increases the risk of post-traumatic OA. False, or again, it's complicated. Um, so again, in the Optini um, risk factor systematic review, we did look at BMI at the time of ACL reconstruction. So this is really just relevant to people who've torn their ACL and have subsequently gone on to have an ACL reconstruction. Um, we found that the 95% confidence interval for this meta-analysis um, crossed um, the null value. So there was, um, uh, without a trend, without a doubt, though, a trend that those that have higher BMI at the time of ACLR are more likely to have structural osteoarthritis. And that was based on four studies with almost about 900 participants. And then when it came to looking at um, BMI um, as it relates to symptomatic osteoarthritis, um, we had very low certainty of no evidence. And, and really, we just had a one study there, which is why we really couldn't come to a conclusion um, with a small number of participants. So um, it, it's it, it's maybe not exactly as we would think. Um, I would say that there's some trend towards stating that higher BMI may lead to it. But if we go with the numbers and the facts um, and the data that we have to date that we synthesize, the relationship's unclear. Thank you, Jackie. And from my understanding, there's not a lot of studies that have looked further down the track, potentially when people have gained weight and then the relationship from there and risk of OA, is that correct? Yeah. 
That's true. So really the only sort of body mass index or even, um, and I know body mass index is not an indicator of obesity necessarily or adiposity, although it's often used as a surrogate for that. Most of the information we found in um, the, doing the review was at time of injury or time of, of, of ACL reconstruction. A lot of people have not looked at change in BMI over time and that's that association with OA risk. If we just look at the OA risk um, in general literature, um, without a doubt, um, BMI increases the odds of osteoarthritis. So it seems intuitive that it would, um, uh, but um, we, we just don't have that in the PTOA space quite yet. Yeah, thank you. Okay, number six, people can get back to sport without having an ACL reconstruction for their ACL tear. True. <laughs> Yes, they can. Uh, we're actually in the final stages of a systematic review looking at this at the moment, which has found no difference in return to sport rates or level of activity after ACL reconstruction compared to treatment with rehabilitation alone. And again, that's important that we're referring to this uh, comparison group who did undergo a rehab program rather than this, you know, ACL deficient group who may or may not have actually undergone physio. Interestingly, that finding in that review was despite the fact that participants in multiple studies who were managed with rehabilitation were actually advised not to return to high-level sports. And the same advice wasn't given to ACL reconstructed people who often were encouraged if that was their goal. Um, and also in a number of these studies, there's that selection bias. So they actually encouraged reconstruction for people who wanted to return to sports and suggested rehab only for those who didn't. Some of these studies are, you know, 10 years old. Um, that isn't recommended practice today, but when we're looking at reviews and summarising the literature, we really need to be aware of what patients were told in each treatment arm because that obviously is going to have influences on return to sport rates. But interestingly, it didn't actually. It still were similar return to sport rates irrespective of that advice given. Thank you, Steph. And, yes, it will be interesting to see over the coming years whether those trends um, change in terms of that advice given. Okay, number seven, increased knee laxity increases the risk of post-traumatic OA. False. Um, so what we found when we synthesized, again, risk factors for post-traumatic osteoarthritis of the knee was that really there's only one study, um, and Steph may be familiar with this, that has... Um, looked at the relationship between anterior tibial translation after um, an ACL injury and the relationship with uh, symptomatic osteoarthritis. And there's very there's there's none that have looked at it with respect to structural osteoarthritis. Um, and this was a 32 to 37 year follow up of about 127 participants. And because we really only had one study that looked at this. Um, the conclusion that we had in the systematic review and meta analysis was that there's an unclear relationship. Um, and I think this speaks a little bit to this sort of real, I don't want to say the word fallacy, but I think we've got this real um, preconception that people develop osteoarthritis after injury because of biomechanical reasons alone. And if there's a lot, you know, if there's more moving around of the joint or something like that, that's going to lead to more wear and tear in the joint. Um, when in fact, as has been pointed out already a couple times, a lot of the mechanisms that might be driving that are inflammatory mechanisms, 
um, damage that's been done to the cartilage itself, et cetera. So I, I don't think that the only mechanisms driving post-traumatic osteoarthritis are biomechanical in nature. I'm not saying that those aren't important, but they aren't the only thing going on. And currently we just don't have the evidence to say that that increased knee laxity is, is a culprit as to why this is happening. Do you want us to add something there? Sarah? Yeah, yeah I'm, I absolutely agree with Jackie's response. I, I just wanted to point out that there's quite a bit of evidence showing a discord between knee laxity, so what we're assessing yeah. with, say, the Lockman's or pivot shift, and knee instability, which is the patient's perception of an unstable knee, or the knee actually giving way, you know, whilst playing sport or walking or performing activities. So it may be that, especially multiple episodes of giving way or true uh, functional instability could be a risk factor for OA. But knee laxity that we're seeing in the clinic or that a lot of people assess in research studies, as Jackie points out, there's no evidence for at the moment for an association with OA. Yeah, yeah that's a point. Yeah. And Steph, on the instability, do we have a, a measure of, you know, to, to grade that functional instability at the moment? No, not really. No, there's, um, you know, there's individual items within some questionnaires, but they're not validated as a standalone measure. Um, yeah, I think gross episodes of giving way, or even when someone falls down and it causes pain and inflammation in the knee, um, likely to cause another acute trauma to the knee. I think certainly physios and other sports clinicians can diagnose. But it's this sort of grey area when someone says, oh, my knee's buckled or my knee felt funny. And that can actually be caused by muscle inhibition or weakness or other things going on in the knee, even some inflammation in the knee um, pre-existing that isn't always a gross episode of instability. So it's not always so clear cut. Okay. In the interest of time, I think we might hold it there. And I think this is going to make a really great two-part series. Whilst it was my hope to keep these answers to one minute or less, you've both made it clear that for some of these topics, it's very complex and complicated. Thank you both for your comprehensive insights into the evidence and sharing your viewpoints. I'm really looking forward to the next few and getting into the some of the juicy and um, sometimes controversial topics about ACL healing, open chain knee exercises, does return to sport increase osteoarthritis risk and does the timing of reconstruction matter? Thank you for listening to this BJSM podcast. If you like this style of podcast or you have an idea, please reach out. We're always open to ideas of what and who you might like to hear from. Tune in next week for more Myth Busting with Jackie and Steph.